Blog Talk Radio. All right. Hello, hello. Hello.
You're listening to Wide Men Can't Jump on the Wide Men Radio Network located at blogtalkradio.com slash widemencantjump and at widemencantjump.com. Here's the best pod in sports bringing you all the NBA highlights analysis and even some college basketball analysis as well. This show is brought to you by the law offices of Stephen P. New and cambay.com. You can find this show at iTunes, Podcast Addict, Stitcher, Google Play, FM Flash, iHeartRadio, and anywhere you find podcasts, as well at widemencantjump.com. Now let's go to the flagship program and this episode of Wide Men Can Jump. Well, I'll tell you what, if there was ever an evening where you're going to find a couple of pissed off dudes, this would be the definite evening to do it. We are having some technical issues on our end, and we do apologize if the call quality uh, and the quality of the show is a little down. Uh, We've been having some technical problems, and I don't know what it is, but somebody is going to get a stern ass talking to tomorrow when I deal with this. (laughs) Joining me again, though, ladies and gentlemen, the nicest Canadian who's pissed off right now, Tim Dombrova. Let's hold on while I catch a pigeon so I can send my reply to you through blog talk. Yeah, for real. Technology, and folks. The, but the Pony Express, but here we are. We are here indeed, and we're going to make this happen. Wide men can't jump coming at you one way or another. Depending on what it takes, we are here. And we're going to be joined here in a minute. We had a call on the line uh, as we were going, and then all of a sudden something happened, and that call dropped. So I'm not sure what's going on, but he's supposed to be joining us again here very, very shortly. And we'll be talking some more playoffs and some more NBA. There's a lot going on, a lot happening in the league at the moment the playoffs are hot there's hot topics but we couldn't bring this show to you if it wasn't for our amazing sponsors and everything they do for us we do want to thank our sponsors the law offices of stephen p new let's go ahead and hear from the new law office shall we personal injury product liability workplace accident mesothelioma law social security disability unfair insurance practices family law, employment discrimination, and more. All this can be handled at New Law Office with Stephen P. New. It's New Law Office with Stephen P. New. You can get your free consultation today by calling 1-800-208-9169 or 304-362-7345 for your free consultation. A new level of personal service, whether you've been injured or facing divorce or experiencing workplace discrimination, you can rely on compassionate, thorough representation from New Law Office. Be sure to contact Stephen P. New Law Office at newlawoffice.com or again get your free consultation at 1-800-203-9169. Stephen P. New, answers to your legal questions. Again, thanks to NewLawOffice.com and Stephen P. New Law Offices. They are celebrating their 15-year anniversary today. So congratulations and happy anniversary to New Law Office. Again, it's NewLawOffice.com. They've been in business for 15 years now, so you know they mean business. All right. Our guest is joining us now, and I believe we've got our technical issues behind us for the night. Ladies and gentlemen, joining us here from the Blazers Edge, formerly of the USA Today, This is Steve DeWald. Steve, thank you so much 
for jumping on to talk a little Portland Trailblazers basketball with us. Yeah, it's a, it's an amazing time to be a, to be a fan here in Portland. It's a, the city is electric right now, even now, even it after abs- Game One setback. It absolutely is. Uh, before we get to the second the second round series, let's go ahead and talk about that unbelievable first round series with the Blazers, the Blazers and the Thunder. The Blazers win it in five without uh, Yusuf Nurkic, and I'm not going to lie to you, Steve. Before the series started. Never would have guessed that the Blazers could beat the Nuggets without Nurkic. What do you think about the way Portland went at Oklahoma City in that first round? I, I mean, you weren't alone in that prediction. I think even people who, I mean, even myself, I, I was very cautiously optimistic. After Nurkic went down, I figured the Blazers were basically playing with house money. And, you know, I was I was going to be satisfied with whatever outcome happened in the playoffs. Um, that being said... Damian Lillard bounced back in a huge way after a very disappointing series against the Pelicans last year that ended in a 4-0 sweep to a, to a lower seed. Uh, his shot absolutely put the exclamation mark on the series, but he was having, even without that shot, he was having an amazing series. Uh, I think just the way the teams rallied around Nurkic's injury and didn't let that be a setback. And I mean, this is the Blazers we're talking about. This is a city, a team that is very familiar with, with injury setbacks. And to, to see the team rise above that, I think is part of the reason why everybody's so excited. I, I think you can kind of get into the, you know, the basketball gods conversation and is this team cursed? And, and I think this, that series victory goes a long ways, especially considering Paul Allen, the Blazers' owner's uh, passing before the season, uh, to get that victory over Oklahoma City is huge just because Paul, Paul Allen, along with Mark Cuban, were the only two owners in the NBA that voted against the, the Sonics' move to Oklahoma City. So I'd like to think that wherever Paul was for that series, he, he was enjoying it, and, uh, and I believe he was probably cheering as loud as some of the fans in the Moda Center. Absolutely, and you talk about Lillard and the shot. We'll get to that shot here in a minute, but I want to talk about the play of the bigs for Portland in that last series. Ennis Cantor stepped up big time where Nurkic left off. He played great ball, great offensive presence for the Blazers down low. You had some great minutes from Myers Leonard, Zach Collins as well. Yes, if you're listening out there, yes, I'm complimenting Zach Collins. Don't call the police. It's, I'm not having a heart attack. I was very critical of Zach Collins coming out of Gonzaga when he did, but he, he played good minutes last round. Um, so Cantor and the bigs, they really stacked up well against Steven Adams and a lot of the bigs for Oklahoma City. How did that play help Lillard and McCollum, where they know that they have an advantage maybe uh, guard-wise against most teams in the league? Lillard, McCollum, Hood, uh, just great guard play for the Blazers. Well, how did those bigs step up and help that? I, I think Cantor, Cantor was huge. I, I think defensively, everybody knows what you're getting out of him. And, and really, Billy Donovan and the Thunder really didn't punish the Blazers for having Cantor on the floor. They let him sag back into the paint and really play that way. Offensively, what he's able to do as far as coming up and setting those really high screens really kind of exposed Stephen Adams out there you know, above the break where he's not necessarily has the speed to recover like a guy like Jeremy Grant does. And so when Donovan finally made that adjustment and put Grant 
playing more of the five position and, and moved Adams off of him, Cantor was able to feast on offensive rebounds, which was huge for the Blazers, especially in that game five, that, that late game rally. I mean, creating extra possessions when, when the ball wasn't going in was, was massive. Outside of his scoring total, I think the, the biggest thing that Cantor brings to the table, obviously, is his offensive rebounding. And, and really, outside of him, Zach Collins, offensively, he's, he just doesn't have the tool set to really make an impact there yet outside of plays in transition or, or when the play kind of breaks down. But defensively, he's ad, as advertised as a, as a help defender. He has great instincts around the ball. He, he has shown the ability to avoid foul trouble. I mean, he's still a young player. Um, defensively, though, I think this, this series is going to be tough for him. I, I don't, against the Nuggets, not to get too far ahead, but I, I think he can't really match up against Millsap and Jokic like he could against some of the bigs against Oklahoma City, where I think he could hold his own against Nerlens Noel and Spurts. And, and really, the Thunder really didn't have a lot of options at backup power forward. So I think it was it was a tailor-made series. And then kind of the un, one of the unsung heroes, too, was, was Myers Leonard in that series. He came in and was able to give 10 to 15 minutes every night in game two where Cantor hurt his wrist in the second quarter. It was Myers Leonard that closed that game out in a crucial game two to, to go back to Oklahoma City with a two-game advantage. I mean, Myers Leonard on paper is a three-point shooter, but he needs a long time to get that shot off. So what you need him to do is you really use that frame to set guards free on screens and really just body up those guys and wear people down. And really, Oklahoma City, especially Stephen Adams, couldn't get a break I mean, it was either Cantor or Myers Leonard. Even if it was for a 10-minute spurt, Myers Leonard is grinding on on Adams and kind of wearing him out. Tim, you watched uh, you watched Damian Lillard's shot go down. Uh, what did you did. think about it? Because I know you saw it, and I want I want to get your reaction as well. Because I think what did I Tim think was not able to. You were unable to join us last week. I want to get your reaction, and then if you don't care, Steve, what was your reaction to Lillard's shot? They nailed from nearly half court. Go ahead, Tim. Well, what kind of reaction can you have? I mean, you you just you can't believe you saw it. You saw it went in, and yet somehow part of you is like, there's no way that just went in. I don't know. More, I I mean, it was great. I didn't mind it. I wasn't against it or anything. But I guess sometimes they fall and sometimes they don't, especially when you're talking from way out there. Yeah, and Steve Lillard is, has went on record of saying he practices those shots. Those are shots that he, he works on. What did you think when he released that ball in game five from where he, he released it from? Because I don't know about you guys, but I was sitting here in on my bed because it's late on the East Coast, and I said, that's going in. That has That's going to go in as soon as he released it. What was your all thoughts? I, I think I, I've seen Lillard make those shots. I've seen him take those shots at the end of practices, and – the only thing that was a little different than traditionally when he's shooting from that range is the sidestep to the right isn't really something I've seen a lot from him, but that distance is somewhere he, he's had that lined up and dialed in before. I, I think one of the more confusing things on that play was obviously as the clock ticked down, you're, you're yelling to, okay, get moving, get moving towards the basket. But the, the refs really weren't calling fouls. I mean, you saw that on the, on the previous play where Russell Westbrook, you had a very physical play at the rim and it didn't go in and, and the refs didn't blow the whistle. So I think that was, I think that was something that was on Lillard's mind. It's at least something that he framed in the post game. Um, I, 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 the clock ticked down. It, it got to a point where I was wondering 
Paul George, when it gets within three seconds, I was curious why he didn't close that gap because I think at that point you realize what Lillard's doing. And then when it went up, I mean, like Tim said, I, you know, you know, it's going in. I mean, it just had that, that rhythm to it to where I've seen him wind up to that. And if he hits his rhythm it, and it just felt good. I mean, that ball hung in the air for two seconds and it, it was, I was already out of my seat at that point. And, <laughs> and really the whole place went crazy. So. Well, usually when you see a shot like that, if you're watching the guy who's actually taking the shot, quite often there's, you know, when it's kind of the desperation, Hail Mary kind of thing, they sort of look like the stroke isn't right, if you know what I mean. The, 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 their form is off a little bit because it's not something they're used to doing. But when he shot that thing, you know, he might as well have been at the three-point line, like for form anyway except he said for the step, of course, but he didn't look like it was a shot where he was thinking to himself, yeah, this is, this is all I got left and I'm going to throw this up and it might go in and it might not. It was like, yeah, I can hit this from here. It felt to me like, though, that game, even if it had went to overtime, the Blazers had the momentum, and I think the Blazers were the team that they would have wanted had it went to overtime. So it was kind of one of those things where, you know, I don't – and I'm going to kind of agree with Paul George. Yeah, it's it's not the shot. Maybe it's a bad shot. To some, maybe it's not. I don't consider it a high-percentage shot by any any chance. But with Lillard in rhythm and playing the way he had played that game, I don't consider it necessarily bad. I don't consider it my first option. But still, it goes in. And they had momentum. They were at home. They had come back. They were down big and came back. And this is a team that – when they start making shots and they start getting in rhythm, that's a team you got to look out for because they are dangerous when they're stroking shots. Even Al Farouk Aminu, uh, he could knock down shots like that. And we saw it in that series. He was making jump shots, and he got hot, and he was big for the Blazers in a couple of those games. And, and to that point with the, with the end of that game, I, I think that comes down to – Lillard, yes, the Paul George thing was very publicized, but Lillard was 8 for 12 on his three-pointers beyond 30 feet, I believe, in that series. And and also, you're looking at, I believe, Paul George had five fouls. Russell Westbrook had five fouls. Uh, Steven Adams was in foul trouble. So it comes back to that idea of playing with house money to where you can kind of afford to take that gamble and take that big shot because you like your chances of getting into the flow with where the momentum was with Thunder's foul trouble heading into overtime. I, I think that was probably a, a big factor in his, uh, his decision to take a, take a shot like that. Yeah. And that, that does make sense. Um, but the, the most cold hearted thing I saw, we talked about it last week, the wave goodbye to the Thunder, man, that was just, as Kanye would say, how could you be so heartless? Damian Lillard hit that wave goodbye. Oh my goodness, it hurt me. But you know what? I kind of don't. I don't blame him in a way. I really don't blame. I'm not saying it was bad. I'm not saying that at all. I love it. I love the rivalry. Oh, I love the. I love the fighting a, spirit that these teams have. That's just me. Yeah, it's been a lot of years. Oklahoma's been a good. They've been a good team for a long time. Sooner or later, you have to take at least a step back, and they did this year. And Kudos to Portland for being the team that sent them packing. 
Yeah, I think I think it was almost refreshing to see. I mean, obviously here in Portland we're on the opposite end of it, but it was refreshing to see two teams that genuinely did not like each other playing in the playing in the NBA. And I think that's something that I mean, yes, the Warriors are prickly with everybody they play, but and same to the to with the Rockets to a certain extent. But I, I think it was refreshing to kind of see that throwback between two teams where you don't see the superstars really making nice after the game. I mean, yes, Lillard kind of played down the, the rivalry a few days afterwards, but I mean, there was no love lost throughout that series. And really, Lillard was gunning for Oklahoma City after, you know, Russell Westbrook told him he'd been busting that ass for, for years. And you look at Lillard's scoring average after that outburst in the regular season, and it's it's off the charts. I mean, it, it was obvious that that rivalry definitely motivated Lillard in, in the matchups following that. Yeah, yeah, you could tell that. You could definitely see the the fight Lillard had going forward. And uh, he Lillard's Lillard's such an underrated player just because where he's located, and that's that's the truth. He's located in a market where. A lot of people during the regular season, you don't hear a lot about him, but he just he's just there doing his thing. You know, he, he does a great job in Portland. And, of course, McCollum as well. They've got a great team. And to me, Terry Stotts is one of the best coaches nobody ever talks about. Uh, he does such a good job in Portland. He really gets that team motivated and finds ways to win. And, and I look at the team at the beginning of the year sometimes, and I say, man, they really didn't they didn't get much more to help themselves. But, yeah, here they are improved. So, that's just something I, I always notice about Portland. They seem to improve without changing much. And maybe that's the system. Maybe that's Terry Stotts. And maybe it's the players learning to play with each other. What do you think on that, Steve? I think continuity has definitely been a storyline here. But let's not forget that one of the main reasons Portland hasn't been able to really go out and get a third or a wing player to go along with, with the players that are already on the team is – they they spent themselves into oblivion in 2016. I mean, you handed out massive contracts to Maurice Harkless, which that contract can look good. You gave 17 million to Evan Turner and you gave 11 million to Myers Leonard. Like that that basically limits your flexibility. So you're forced to forced to, you know, rely on internal development. That being said, Portland has done a very good job. I mean, you haven't seen him much in the playoffs, but they got major production or considerable production from Jake Lehman this year, a second-round pick out of Maryland a couple of years ago. Last year you had significant production from Pat Connington. Uh, so they're good at getting guys coming down the pipeline. And then as far as doing more with less, I mean, in reality, Neil O'Shea, the, the president of basketball operations in Portland, turned Nick Stauskas and Wade Baldwin into Rodney Hood and Ennis Cantor at the trade deadline. I mean, they – package those two to get Rodney Hood and then with the open spot they signed Ennis Cantor on the on the market when he was bought out by the Knicks so really I mean to get two guys that are playing real minutes in the playoffs for Nick Stauskas and Wade Baldwin is is pretty impressive um but yeah that's that's definitely the company line here is 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 continuity um it's definitely covers up from some of the questionable spending in 2016 when, when things work out the way they have this year well, let's go ahead and move on here, and let's talk a little bit about the series. Uh, if you're listening right now, if you're listening in live, uh, the Nuggets and Trailblazers tip off here in about a half an hour on the East Coast. Uh, it's 830 on the East Coast. Well, they'll tip off everywhere you know, at 9 o'clock Eastern time. But uh, we're looking here at the first game 
from that series on April 29th as the Nuggets lead the series 1-0. And, and let's face it, Denver and Portland, I think, is going to go. Uh, I think it's going to be a nice long series because not only are these two teams both home of two very difficult places to play, but they've got such different styles. And when someone is hot and on, that's a a recipe for disaster for the other. Uh, Just looking at the Damian Lillard had 39 the other night. Ennis Cantor had 26 and seven. He only finished at minus 10 in the plus minus, even though he was guarding Jokic who only finished at plus 16. So the plus minus was actually closer than what I thought it would be. It was plus 40 to minus 40. But I'm looking at, like, Mo Harkless only had two points. Uh, Al Farouk Aminu, two points, but eight rebounds. Uh, Myers Leonard only played 12 minutes, but he had three points, five rebounds. Um, Collins, four points. The real struggle was C.J. McCollum, 16 points. Uh, only shot, He shot 41% from the field, seven of 17, but only two of seven from three. And that was where the major struggle came in was, I think, if McCollum had had a better night, that Portland could have gotten away with a game one win at Denver. Um, but there's some other stuff we need to look at too. But what's your thoughts on Portland's game one against Denver? I mean, as a series as a whole, I mean, you really, I, I agree with that. This has got a seven game series wrote all over it. You have two superstars that are unguardable. I, I don't think Denver really has an answer for Damian Lillard. Now, that being said, I, I believe Torrey Craig and Gary Harris will have a good game in this series and slow him down a bit. And then for Portland, they have no answer for Jokic. I mean, this is really you didn't miss Yusuf Nurkic. I mean, you missed him, obviously, but it wasn't crucial to have him on the floor against Oklahoma City. Where here, it's you really need that big body to wear down on Jokic. But that being said, it really comes down to role-player production you touched on. Outside of Rodney Hood, the Blazers really got nothing from, from their reserves. Uh, Al Farouk Aminu had arguably his worst game of the season. Uh, a lot of unforced errors, poor turnovers. I mean, same with Harkless. Harkless defensively had a, played with a lot of injury, uh, energy, but it, you really can't ask for much more from him. I mean, obviously you want the point total to be up a little higher. Uh, touching on CJ, that was his lowest point total of the playoffs. I uh, just didn't really have it going, kind of had some – awkward possessions where he was really kind of forcing the the three-point shot and that's something where with McCollum facing a guy like Gary Harris who's a lights out perimeter defender he really has to do let the game come to him and and that's where he's going to really have to play off Lillard especially if Lillard's scoring at will off the pick and roll because eventually the help's going to come and those perimeter guys are going to be open now, once that happens, it's up to, to the guys like Al Farouk Aminu, Harkless, and McCollum to knock those shots down. Uh, it was disappointing to see Seth Curry, who, was, who can be a very streaky shooter and definitely built some Portland leads against Oklahoma City, basically be a net zero against the, Thun, or against the Nuggets in game one. I mean, he disappeared for long stretches. Uh, defensively, Portland just has to find a – they have to commit to either – really trying to double Jokic in the post or just live with what Jokic is going to do and really focus on staying on those outside shooters because you, you can't be late on those closeouts against the, against the Nuggets because you could get away with it against the Thunder. You just can't get away with it with the Nuggets. And, and I'd be interested to see what the adjustments are coming into game two because I, I, I would prefer to see 
you just live with what Jokic can do on the low block against Cantor. You can't let him start passing out of there and, and hitting these wide open perimeter shooters. Yeah, and that's where people seem to to forget about uh, Jokic. He's such a good passer, and he just does everything that a big man should do. And he had a great game one, and um, and that was ultimately the difference, I believe, in game one. Um, but let's look. You know, Lillard had a great game, of course. So, you know. Denver almost let Lillard have his, but they tried to stop everybody else and thought they could rely on it. But it was a close game, and it was a very entertaining game. Now, game two, back in Denver, and if Portland wants to steal home court, they've got to win tonight. Uh, What do you think is the game plan going forward tonight for Portland? What are they looking to do, and how can they beat this Denver Nuggets team who's been a very good team all season? I, I think just being another couple of days at altitude is probably going to help from, from a wind standpoint and getting your legs. I mean, yes, they had a few days of rest, but with, with the Spurs and Thunder series going as late as it, or Spurs and Nuggets series going as late as it did, uh, the Blazers didn't fly out till the day before. So I, I think that's going to be, could be a factor. I, I think really it's, it's just attack them with the pick and roll because really Denver didn't show a way to stop any of it. I mean, it was either Cantor getting wide open when they commit to Lillard or they're a step late committing to Lillard and he's getting three-point shots and he's getting inside. Um, I think even when they do rotate well, I think he has the ability to exploit a guy like Jokic in the mid-range and, and get hit the shots he wants because he's, he's still one of the – I mean, it's a dying thing to watch mid-range game in the NBA, but – Lillard and McCollum are both proficient at it. I think you rely on that, and then you let the rest of it come to you. I mean, that's where it comes down to hitting those perimeter shooters. Defensively, I wouldn't I, – I, I'm firmly in the camp of let's just let – you just got to let Jokic do what Jokic is going to do on the post and do your best and just try to wear him out on the offensive end by putting him in the pick and roll and really just commit to the taking away those outside shooters. And because you can't let, you know, Jamal Murray get in rhythm. You can't let Morris get in rhythm. can't let Harris get in rhythm. Those guys will torch you from outside. So I, I think really Portland could go into this game with the same game plan. I mean, 18 turnovers, a lot of them unforced, was a huge disaster in game one. And you just kind of got to cut that down. And I think – the players would never admit to it, and I, you know, obviously I'm I'm not in that locker room. I'm not around them, but I think the the press and the publicity that the Blazers got for a week might have uh, might have uh, got a little un basically got them in the spotlight. And you really don't get that a lot in the Portland market, like you touched on. Um, you have two assistants on the Blazers staff that are high profile coaching hires, and Nate Tibbetts and David Vanderpool. Both guys are on the radar for almost every coaching position that's open, especially the Suns position. Um, so I, I think you're going to see a more dialed-in team here. At least that's that's what Portland's hoping for. Well, it's true, and that's going to be an interesting game tonight, uh, game two in uh, Denver. Do you think maybe the long layoff where Denver had to finish their series was uh, an issue for Portland? I, I think it – I, I think any time when you're really in a rhythm, I, I I think that could could slow down some of the momentum. But that being said, I mean Nurkic or 
Cantor separated his shoulder in game five and getting that extra few days was crucial to his recovery where I think if you were looking at a six or seven game series with the Thunder, I, I don't know if Cantor plays in game one, which could be would have been absolutely disastrous, I think. Yeah, it would have been. Uh, Tim, any questions for Steve, uh, providing you're still with me over there? Well, I guess Tim is not with me over there. <laughs> <laughs> well, he might have to step away for a second, but Steve, that's all from me, and I do want to thank you for jumping on with us and talking a little Portland Trailblazers and giving us the lowdown on what's going on up in Portland and let our listeners know where they can find you and keep up with you. And, uh, we'll try to have you back on here soon. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be great. Um, most of my work goes up at blazersedge.com and you can find me on Twitter at Steve D hoops. And that's usually, I'm usually active during blazer games, um, with the NBA draft coming up. I do a lot of coverage for that. So even if you're not a blazers fan, I'll be covering a lot of prospects here in the next couple months. Well, we'll definitely hit you up coming NBA draft time because we do a special. We do a draft special uh, where we draft the entire NBA draft every year. So, uh, looking forward to doing that again. Tim, you're back. Any questions yeah, for Steve before I we just, let him go? Yeah, I wanted to ask him real quick. He did get my turnovers question because that was one thing I, I wanted to ask about. But the second thing I, I, I wanted to ask was uh, any truth to the rumors that the well, not rumors, but that the uh, Portland kind of let the refs get to him a little bit in game one. I, I think that's that. I think that was pretty clear. I mean, not it, it's something that came out after the game. I think even Lillard kind of spoke to. We can't we can't let those calls dictate what we're doing out there. That being said, I I'm not really for pinning stuff on the refs. I, I think they called it a, a fairly tight game all around. You just can't you can't be arguing for those calls. You would, got it. I mean, you, eventually, do yeah. you subscribe to the theory I do that if you really if you take your homerness out of it and really sit down and count uh, what got blown both ways that most nights it actually ends up being fairly even? Yeah, that's that's usually the school of thought I come from. Like I, I think for I, I actually believe in makeup calls. I believe if a ref really blows a call for one side, you usually see a fifty-fifty call definitely go the opposite way later. I, you can't really prove that. Um, I, I think one of the sticking points that stuck with the fans here was there was a late flagrant foul that CJ McCollum had. Um, I believe it was on Jokic. Hit him right in the face on a breakaway. Originally, I think they were just going to send Jokic to the line for two. It was the the rest vantage point was from behind, didn't really get to see the call. The the story is that Kevin McHale really just goes off from the announcer's booth. And he and he has a ref right there. And then you look and see and they kind of they look at the tape, they rule it a flagrant, and then there's a fist bump between McHale and the ref after that, which like if you put your tinfoil hat on here, like people are saying, you know, McHale <laughs> caused that flagrant foul. Well, but I don't I don't necessarily I, I don't necessarily buy into that line of thought, but that's definitely been a trending thing on Twitter up here in, in Portland. Pretty, pretty sure that only happens if it's a Lakers game. <laughs> I can see that. There we go. Well, Steve, thank Fair you again enough. for jumping on and, and talking with us. Tim, nothing else for Steve? No, I'm good. 
I'll get All halfway right, well, through something and I'll get disconnected. So let's just leave it well enough alone. <laughs> <laughs> well, Steve, again, right, thank, thank you, you for jumping on and, and talking a little Portland Trailblazers with us. And we will have you back really, really soon. Thank you again so much. All right. I appreciate it. Have a good night, guys. You too. You too. And that, ladies and gentlemen, that was Steve DeWald from the Blazers Edge. You used another, to work at USA another, Today. Another good guy who, uh, like, you know, you, I always used to hear about how there was um, uh, reporters who were so biased for their teams and blah, 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 blah. You know, we just don't really run across any. We run across guys who are, you know, obviously he's a Portland guy and all that, and that's good. But never afraid to cover the other side or call it like it is. You know, these guys maybe aren't quite good enough or whatever, you know, whatever they have to say. That's um, very refreshing to me. Is there a new breed of reporter out there that I don't know about maybe that I missed? You could I'm be you my... could be missing something. I think what it is is there's so much now where you just have to look at the glass and, and be half full and, and realize, you know, I, and that's the thing about being a reporter. Your job is to report and maybe not so much spin, but you've got to be honest. And I a lot of reporters with, the, um, with social media and all of that, it's pretty hard to, uh, uh, you know, there was a time when, okay, if you weren't at, you know, if you weren't at the garden for the game, you didn't see it. Exactly. You know, and the guy could kind of spin, you know the, the the beat writer in uh, you know let's say in Portland for instance he could probably put whatever spin on that game he wanted to because oh, there really wasn't anybody easy. to say to say otherwise but now I mean things are uh, you know as you well know we get you know the games these guys are reporting as the games are going on and it's maybe that's just yeah I mean be a little bit more the integrity is a little higher than what it once was because. I say, I mean, these guys have all, like I said, they're all cheering for their teams, but not to the point of, of craziness where, you know, whatever the narrative might be from whatever game that they're, you know, like there was a time, like when I asked them about the calls, I mean, there was a time where a guy would have said, oh, yeah, you know, we were getting jobbed. And now you don't really hear the reporters say that anymore. Oh, you know, well, that might have been a weak call, but, you know, there was another, as he quickly said, there was another one the other way that was just as bad and, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's just, it's nice to see the guy, like, that they're actually reporting. Let's put it that way. Yeah, and they may be like me. I come from I come from um, a background of, you know, I knew a lot of people who, when growing up, their team never lost. Their team either A, won, B, were cheated, or C, they let the other team win. <laughs> and that was that... <laughs> Or that, that great was, narrative that, that the league is out to get them. Yeah, no, or D, not. yes. The league doesn't give us. I mean, I mean, I guess they do to some extent, but they don't. They don't fix games. Good lord. But I, I will tell you that that was a narrative growing up, and I always was like, you know, maybe maybe this other team was just better. And, oh no, 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 no! Our team is the best. You know, our team is. We we never lose. We're the best. We either get cheated or we win. That's the way. No. And I grew up around that, and especially in like you know, you know, dealing. I wonder too, of course, when your kids, because you would fall in the same category that because you don't have a, a a local team, you were more a fan of basketball initially than you were of, 
you know, you weren't waving the pennant of the West Virginia whatevers when you were two years old because there wasn't one. Yeah. Like a pro team. And I think like with well, the reporter guys too, a lot of these guys are not initially from the city that they work in or cover. Because you don't even need to, like, you could cover the Portland Trailblazers and not live in Portland. Oh, yeah, easily. Like, not like, you know, I mean, probably better to kill because you got access that way. But you know what I mean. I mean, like, we had, uh, who did we have on? I think it was two weeks ago. Uh, the guy from. Uh, yeah, T.J. McBride from Denver. He, right, uh, who was Lakers from fan. L.A., but was, you know, covered somebody else. Well, that probably brings a fairly objective viewpoint to things that you maybe don't get. From and from other people, I just I I just I'm amazed because we've never had a bad guest on this show yet. No, I like to think. I mean, Tom Robinson, but other than that, uh, yeah, he's not a guest, I'm kidding. So, yeah, we got to put him I'm on kidding. because because he makes us. But <laughs> <laughs> no, my 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 thing with it is though, you know, as I grew up around here in West Virginia, you, you said you know you weren't waving the flag of West Virginia, and, and that's true, but. My dad also, and, and most of it comes from the dad's side, your sports fandom. You know, a lot of people get into sports, you know, because their dad was in sports, into sports. My dad was not into sports. I I got into sports a little later in life than most people. I wasn't five years old, you know, all about, you know, West Virginia football or, or Marshall basketball or anything. I, I wasn't. I didn't. I honestly... I played one year of Buddy League basketball in my entire life. One year of organized basketball. That's it. That's all I ever played. Um, everything else I learned from watching the NBA and uh, things like that. Watching highlight yeah. films. Watching but how saying, teams that, play. That, all that means is you have a, you actually like the sport. Oh, yeah. As absolutely. A, as opposed to, like, there are people who, um, especially in the big markets, you know, you live in Boston. Well, you're a Celtics fan. Well, not really. You, or I mean, there are Celtics fans. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, there are people too that, well, do the Celtics win? Oh, yeah, good. Name me two guys who play on the Celtics. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Larry Bird. Know, it's just, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, they don't know. Red Arbach. Uh, we don't know because we we just you know we live in Boston and that's what you do if you live in Boston if you, yeah. you know, Celtics, right? Yeah, they, definitely. When in Rome, anyway. you, you do you do as they do. That's the old I thing. I do have a, an interesting story I want to bring up, though. I, I don't know what your uh, formula here is for the rest of the evening, no. but hey, man, let's roll with it. Go. Well, you know we throw a lot of shade at ESPN sometimes on this show. I read an article today on ESPN. That I, I just want to say that we don't get well. We don't get paid a lot to do what we do. We do it mostly because we. Enjoy doing it. Yeah. Now, I see this story on ESPN today. On, uh, And I don't disagree with the premise of the story, which is that the league has fallen in, in love with the three-point shot. Uh, or not the league, but that the players have fallen. You know, basketball has fallen in love with the three-point shot. And what do we do to try to get that back a little bit more to basketball? As in the words of Greg Popovich, nobody looks at the, uh, the only stat anybody looks at is three-pointers, and usually nine times out of ten, whoever hit more of those in the game won the game. Well, to which I, I, Go ahead. To which I agree to some, to some degree, I, I agree. 
my problem become with, okay, how are we going to fix this problem? I'm not going to give this guy's name because I'm not going to give any credence to this theory. But that a professional sports writer came up with this idea frightens me greatly. So I will spin it by you. You're probably going to love it. This okay, guy has go ahead. Decided that, this guy has decided that to, to, to even it up, each team will pick their own three-point line, how far away it is. Really? So if you have a really so if you have a team that you know you got four guys who can shoot them from thirty five feet, well maybe you put it out that far. If you have no shooters, maybe you move it into ten feet. <laughs> now is that not the dumbest thing, or one of the dumbest things you've ever heard? Well, dummy, dummy, yeah, yeah. I mean, if nothing else, it's going to keep some crews busy as they adjust the three-point lines on the hard court every night. <laughs> I tell you what, my three-point line, my three-point line would be the restricted area around the, <laughs> around the, I mean, how, across the floor. I mean, and then you, you could just shoot from wherever. Like that, that would make no sense. Well, how do, how does it affect like, uh, you know, the three second rule and. Illegal defenses exactly. and all this kind of stuff. If the three-point line is, you know, in front, it's in front of the free throw line because you're you're the Philadelphia 76ers. And well, I mean, that would be one way to get Simmons uh, three-point average to go up. I well, I mean, that would that be that, a, just, that would be a way to uh, to get Simmons into the three-point books. Yeah, I mean, but I, I couldn't believe that. And he did go on to say that he said, some people have told me this is the greatest idea ever, and some have told me it's the stupidest one I've ever come up with. Well, I'm going to have to slide I, in with stupid. Yeah, option number two seems like the option there. Um, that doesn't make a lick of sense as far as I'm concerned. So, well, no, how, I mean, how, does that, how does that even it up even? It doesn't. To me, that encourages wouldn't – everybody just, Wouldn't everybody just move it closer? It, you would think it's like, well, we're just going to move it closer, and that way our our really good shooters are still going to shoot from. Now they'll shoot from our wherever. Our good guys the hell. will be able to shoot from wherever they want to shoot from anyway, but our shittier ones can throw up threes from ten feet. Exactly. Or whatever. Like, we can make a free throw. Come up with. You know, we can make a free throw, and you know, like like <laughs> some of the big guys, you know, they can make a, a fifteen foot <laughs> jump shot. But they're not going to make a three point shot. Makes a comeback and leads the league in three pointers because he dunks them. <laughs> and Duncan, it might bring Duncan back to the game because I mean Duncan would be the man. Yeah, you got an eight foot five center who just stands under the basket, and your three point line is six inches, and he just stands inside the the arc and dunks. I don't know. What, a, what an idiotic like, idea! I mean, it what would an be idiotic like, idea! Uh, it would be like uh, in between innings of a baseball game. The teams could decide. Each team at bat could decide how far the fences were away. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Honestly. Strikes. Yeah. Can you imagine? We don't really have any uh, good hitters, so the fences at second base. Yeah. Oh man. Some of the things yeah, these guys ESPN. come up with. I just wanted to throw some shade at ESPN because. Oh, it's always fun to do that. It's always. I mean, fun somebody to do probably that. got paid a couple hundred bucks to write that. Yeah. Meanwhile, we're just sitting over here. Yeah, and that that that's what kind of frightens me more. But anyhow, moving on. Well, moving on, let's go ahead and kind of look at the second round of the playoffs a little bit. 
as we've we've looked at the the Trailblazers Nuggets series and it's it's been a a very interesting series so far. Only one game in though, so and we, learned, we really didn't learn much from game one. Team except that those teams well, are pretty evenly matched. One one game is is tough to judge. Right, um, but, but so far, what we do know is that probably this is going to be a seven gamer, and unless somebody really gets hot, who is yeah, already I, hot. I can agree with that. I can agree with that. But uh, game one, Toronto Raptors, Philadelphia seventy sixers. That was on Saturday, and Kawhi Leonard had a career high forty five points, eleven rebounds, as the Raptors cruised in game one, one hundred eight ninety five. And Jimmy Butler had 10, Tobias Harris 14, Embiid 16 and 8, Reddick 17, 14, 9 for Simmons. Um, Ennis had 11, nothing of major note, but again, Kawhi 49, Siakam had 29 for the Raptors as the Raptors won that one big time and they cruised in game one. Um, But game two was a different story. Game two looked like a different 76ers team. Butler had 30 points. 10 rebounds, Tobias Harris, 11 rebounds, 9 points, 12 and 6 and 5 for Embiid, who was battling some uh, stomach issues. Oh, no, he, he had too many cupcakes and got a tummy ache. <laughs> Simmons was kind of non-existent, 6 points, 7 rebounds, 5 assists, but he played 44 minutes. Can you imagine playing 44 minutes and only getting 6 points? Yes. Like, does, that, does that make sense to anybody <laughs> I else? I could, but. This is me. I can barely move, Nate. I mean, yes, yeah, but you're I not a number one draft pick. Well, so I, I, was I, I don't know. Ni- I was in 1977. <laughs> well, that's that's beside the point. Yeah, yeah no, I, I can't. I can't imagine and, and having the ball as much as he has it. That that's all you could produce. Uh, yeah, I'd crawl under a rock. Uh, Kawhi um, Leonard had 35. Siakam 21. Kyle Lowry with 20. Uh, Mark Gasol only had five and seven. Danny Green just was non-existent shooting well, the ball. The Raptors had a horrible shooting night. Um, yeah, and the, the Raptors too. If, yeah, if they're if their starters don't go good, they're in trouble. They don't have the deepest bench in the world. In fact, they don't have much of a bench at all, really. When it gets right down to it, they got a couple guys, but they're like they don't get much off but, the bench at all. But their sure. bench is is much better, in my opinion. Their bench is much better than Philly's. I mean, who would you yes, rather have out I would there? Agree, Fred Van Fleet, Fred Van Fleet or, or James Ennis? Right I'm going to take Van Fleet. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Raptors didn't play very good on in game two. I mean, full no, marks for, uh, no, they, they for winning. It's full marks for no. winning. They played. A, they they did play a better game than they did in game one. But Toronto also played a worse one. So I don't really know <laughs> that we. I'm not sure and what that, we learned. I think if 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 Leonard goes and really goes, I think Philadelphia is in trouble. I just don't think. Well, they can Leonard match up. Leonard was Leonard was 13 of 24, but only 30 percent from three, three of 10 shooting from beyond the arc, and he only finished at plus four. Meanwhile, Jimmy Butler 30 and 10. Butler was four of 10 from three. He finished at plus seven. This was a close game, but it really came down to shots that Toronto didn't make. And Jimmy Butler stepped up and played well, but Embiid was non-existent for the most part. Somebody, uh, uh, Simmons didn't play well. Harris was kind of told just there. Jimmy Butler that uh, 
he might only have three or four games left to showcase himself for that big fat contract. <laughs> Maybe, but Butler did step up. You got to tip your hat to him. I don't like him. Oh but yeah, he, did he played step good. Up. There, you know, too. I mean, he, Jimmy, Jimmy Butler's always had the skill. It's his attitude True, yeah. I, that people have questioned. It isn't the. It isn't that he doesn't have the the, the ability. He's got lots of. That yeah, out. he's definitely a, he's he's a good player, but I still don't like him. But <laughs> not a lot of heart there, I don't think. But if you look at it now, and look at the difference here, Philadelphia they scored ninety five in game one, ninety four in game two. All right, now look at games one and two for Toronto. Toronto one hundred eight, but they only go eighty nine in game two, and I don't think that was Philly's defense per se. I think the Raptors just missed a lot of shots. If I'm looking at Toronto's um, percentages in game one, they shot 51%, almost 52% from the field. Whereas in game two, Toronto shot a just miserable 36% from the field. And to me, that's the difference. That's the difference in that series being 1-1 and 2-0. I will will go out on a limb and say this. If they split in Philadelphia, series is over. The only way Philadelphia wins this series, they got to win the next two games at home. Well, I mean, there is a possibility. Philly's a tough place to play, a tough place to I, win. Oh, I agree, but th- that that would be the only way I can see them winning because then they, they don't have to win another game in Toronto. They That's can lose true. the next game in Toronto and come back to Philadelphia and win and, and close it out. Well, that, that's that been a fun series, though, to watch. Um I know that you know Ben Simmons is being guarded by Kawhi Leonard, so that's been a big bone of contention for Sixers fans as to why he's underperformed. Mark Gasol's done a great job on Joel Embiid uh, defensively. Jimmy Butler was just the guy the other day, and that's what I would argue. To. I would argue that Leonard right now is the best player in the league overall. Yeah, I don't know if I can go. With what he he's considered he's, the best. He's, two, he's always been overall. considered. There isn't much he can't do. They've they've always considered him it. the best two way player in the league. He's always been considered. That's what that. I'm. He's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, okay. overall, yeah. he's probably the best player in the league right now. Okay, I he can't. Can I can't argue. He can bring a little bit of something. Whatever it is you need him to bring. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't argue that. I, I will agree. I think I'll agree with you on that. Um, Go Raptors. Definitely, definitely uh, something there that Leonard can do on both ends that most people can't. He's a great defender, a great scorer. And Toronto really rolled the dice going for him. But, you know, I thought it was, yeah, a, I thought remains, it was a silly move, but we'll have it to remains wait and see. To be, well, that still might be. I mean, might be. If, they don't win, if they don't make it to the final, it's a stupid move. At the end, yeah, I mean that's what it that's what it really boils down to. But it, it's but, it's a make make or break series for Toronto. Well, I, I kind of like I I kind of wish more teams would do that. You know, okay, we've got the we've got what we think is the makings, and we're a piece away. Hell with it. Let's roll the dice and go for it. I mean, let's be I mean, honest. I mean, I I am not the biggest Raptors fan in the world. But I think you're if you Canadian, were a Toronto though. Fan, still, I mean, yeah, I'm too old though. They were, I was already a grown man when they came into existence. Um, but if you are a Toronto fan, I, I dare you to come up with a that, that, that and tell me that this hasn't been the most exciting year ever. I think you're probably right, but 
If you want to make your year even more exciting, you should visit our people at cambay.com. Let's go ahead and hear what Cambay has to say to you. Are you sick of the boring, same old campsites with the same old girls and the same boring content? Well, now's your chance to jump over to a brand new website called cambay.com. C-A-M-B-A-E.com. When you're on Cambay, whatever you want and whatever you desire is right at your fingertips. Be sure to join right now and use promo code WIDEMEN to get 20 free credits on cambay.com. Use those credits to go towards whatever your fantasy is and make sure that you know cambay.com wants to make you as happy as you can be. Be sure to join right now. Again, it's cambay.com, C-A-M-B-A-E.com. And unlike college, it's not going to take you guys 20 free credits to finish. So join cambay.com right now. Use promo code WIDEMAN and get your free credits. Again, thanks to our great sponsors at cambay.com for all their help and everything they do to make this show possible. They've been with us from the beginning. So thank you again, cambay.com. Check them out immediately. You will not regret it. And Tim, I'm not going to reveal anything as of yet, but we are in the process of gaining a few other new sponsors. Uh, some great, great yeah, people are joining the wide men team soon, and we'll have more info on that. And we're going to be bringing you some deals that you're not going to want to miss. So make sure you stay tuned and show our sponsors some love. They're great. And without them, we couldn't bring you this show. They do such a great thing for us, making this show happen. Look, look for our logo above the Super Bowl next year. That's right. Look out, baby. Wide men can't jump. Worldwide well, good year, expansion. Good year and Zeppelin seems to be a pretty good match with wide men. So Yeah, I mean, it fits perfectly, right? I mean, we they go too high. We bring them down. So. This <laughs> is the way it works. <laughs> Throw out a <But>, Robinson. <laughs> we've got another. We've got another another part of the show coming your way. We're about halfway through here, uh, and man, what a great time this has been. But but Tim, I do want to do something before our next guest jumps on. You and I recently, and we don't normally do this. Now we want you to support all the shows that support us. You know, Bell to Bell with Bobby Blaze. Go listen to that show. That's a great show. Uh, we strongly support them. Support whatever podcast you want. We are not here to tell you what to do. But you and I recently, Tim, were just on the greatest wrestling podcast to ever live. Um, excuse me, the greatest wrestling fantasy draft to ever live. And we both had a great time on that show. One, Casey King out of Kentucky. He's a professional wrestler. He does a great job. And what he does on there is he combines fantasy sports with pro wrestling and there's a lot of uh, drafting of different subjects. The first episode was greatest WrestleMania. The second episode was greatest stars of the nineties. You and I were both on that one. I was on the first episode as well. So if you're, if you're a wrestling fan out there, we know a bunch of you are check it out. Enjoy the show. It's available on all major podcasting sites. Go download it. You'll enjoy it. I think. Still with me, Tim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I thought you were segueing right to somewhere else. Well, I, I will uh, go ahead and segue right a, now. I, as we had a caller, I saw. We we do have a caller, and we're being joined right now by Salt City Hoops writer John Kiefer. John, thank you again for joining us here on Wide Men Can't Jump. Of course, always. Enjoy being on. 
Well, we're glad to have you back, and we're going to talk a little Utah Jazz. Um, the Jazz, the playoffs ended a little early for Utah this year. It's not the way they drew it up, not the way they wanted it to go. What happened in that series with Houston? And could try to answer that without just saying James Harden, because I know that's the go-to answer uh, for the Rockets. Uh-huh. But the Jazz and the Rockets, what happened in that series? Uh-huh. I think it's interesting because I don't think the answer is James Harden. I mean, the Jazz actually did a really effective job holding him down. Um, obviously, a lot of people had a lot to say about the, I don't know, we'll call it an interesting defensive tactic on James Harden by essentially very behind him towards his, his left arm. Um, but, I mean, this is a guy who scored almost 37 points a game, and they held him to, what, 28 and he shot incredibly well throughout the whole year, and they held him way below his shooting averages. Uh, I, I think it's safe to say, like, the defensive plan on Harden was actually very effective, and the ringer actually wrote a piece about how effective it was. The issue for the Jazz was the shooting. They just offensively, they could not shoot the ball worth crap. It was awful. Um, and, and really – a big part of that was just it was extremely unlucky for the Jazz to even play the Rockets. Um, I I wrote a piece about it before the series started, but everything had to break against the Jazz for them to even face the Rockets. And any other team outside of maybe the Warriors, I think the Jazz had a really good chance of beating in the first round. So, I mean, a lot of it was unlucky, but, I mean, you face who you face, and you need to rise to the occasion and play the best you can. But at the end of the day, if you want to single it down to just one individual thing, it was the jazz shooting. They, I have it written down just to make sure I get it right. So during the regular season, the jazz attempted the 10th most threes per game. Uh, Quinn Snyder's system generates really the best uh, shot attempts of, almost any other team outside of maybe Milwaukee. It stresses shots at the rim and three-pointers in the corner. They they really analytically are one of the best teams at shooting the ball uh, or shot selection in the NBA, I'll say. But they did shoot the three. Even, even though you look at the Jazz and you don't really think they have great shooters, they actually were the 10th best three-point shooting team in the NBA. They shot 35.6% from three. But during the playoffs against the Rockets, that number dropped down all the way to 26%. They were the worst three-point shooting team in the playoffs. Uh, an interesting stat, there's actually something called quantified shot selection or quantified shot quality um, or QSQ. The Jazz had a QSQ of 56.3, which basically is just saying they attempted the best shots of any other team in the playoffs. Um they attempted more wide-open threes than any other team in the playoffs. They, they attempted in that series over 70 wide-open threes, and they shot 19% on wide-open threes. The league average during the regular season was 38%. I mean, I, I think if you want to boil down the series to anything, that's what it is. The Jazz had open shots, and they missed them. Well, and and I don't want to be that guy, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and bring it up. You're I'm a Wolves fan. I'm gonna be that guy. I'm a Wolves fan. And Ricky Rubio, I could have told you that guy can't shoot, but the rest of the <laughs> team, 
But the rest of the team is made up of very good shooters. I felt Joe Ingles vanished during that series. Oh, he disappeared, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I never heard his name called or anything. What happened with Joe Ingles? Um, I, I think a big part of it was just he was worn out. He played more minutes than he ever had in his entire NBA career, and by the time he got to that series, if, if you actually follow him near the end of the regular season, he started to struggle a bit, and it, it obviously carried over into the series, but – uh, I think the tough thing is the Jazz don't really have a lot of isolation players. Uh, the offensive system by Quinn Snyder is very we, – we move the ball around, we set a lot of screens, we do a lot of dribble handoffs. They actually led the league in uh, screens per game and dribble handoffs per game. But the Rockets, they switch on defense. They switch everything. So we use those screens and those dribble handoffs to create space for guys like Joe Ingles who – are really good ball handlers and good facilitators, but they aren't really athletically able to just blow by their man. They need the screen. So because the Rockets switch, it really just took Joe Ingles out of the game. Um, and it, it relegated him to just kind of standing out in the corner to shoot threes. And then when he finally did get the ball, he, he shot poorly like the rest of the Jazz. Yeah, definitely did. And, and Ingles was kind of a non-factor in that series. Um you know, Donovan Mitchell had some struggles as well in that series, and uh, he was a guy that I thought would show up huge. He had some, some good games, but really not up on his his level yet. And a lot of people are calling for get Donovan some help in Utah. It's the only way you're, you're going to win. What say you? Does Donovan need some more help? Does he need maybe a true point guard there with him outside of Rubio, who, somebody who can actually create their own shot? Uh, I I don't know if it, it matters if it's a point guard, but he definitely needs help. I mean, every star needs help. No one can do it on their own. And basically that's what the Jazz. LeBron the Jazz fans will, do. LeBron fans say, nah, LeBron <laughs> fans say, nah, short of, short of those freaks of nature. But I mean, the majority of players can't do it on their own. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was a big factor. This series was Donovan Mitchell was just asked to do so much. And he has for the last couple of years, he, is just asked to carry such a large load as the only isolation scorer on this team. And I think heading into the offseason, that's going to be uh, probably priority number one for the Jazz is they need to be able to find someone. I, I really don't think it matters if it's a point guard, but they need to find someone who has the ability to create their own shot. Um, I, I know that the three names that I've seen the most for the Jazz is like kind of their dream scenario top free agents that they'd like to go after would be someone like Tobias Harris, who's kind of more of a stretch forward, but he does have that ability to create his own shot. Uh, Chris Middleton has been a guy they've expressed interest in, although I think he might, I can't imagine Milwaukee letting him go. Um, And then Kemba Walker is a guy the Jazz has had interest in for a long time. Um, And you could probably throw in like Mike Conley. I know the Jazz were linked to trying to be trading for him. They tried to trade Ricky Rubio for him, but the asking price is just a little too high. Um, but now he's going to be available again. So I think those are four players that the Jazz will, will target this offseason, and hopefully you know, hopefully they can land one of them to get Donovan Mitchell some help. Well, John, I'm going to take a little bit of a sidestep here, and this may be the only time you are ever asked this question by me. And I like to consider myself a pro. However, I have a friend – Rachel, I'm doing this for you. She is a very big Utah Jazz fan. 
She asked me to ask you how serious is Donovan Mitchell with his girlfriend? <laughs> very, very serious, babe. All right, so <laughs> Rachel, there you go. He's very serious. If you follow him on Instagram, you'll see that he's always posting videos of him with her. So I, I think he's pretty committed. <laughs> well, sorry, Rachel. Uh, you're just gonna have to go back to Coach Quinn Snyder. That's her, her man crush, Quinn Snyder. So. She's our, she's one of our two female listeners, I think. The other one being my mom. No, I'm kidding. But uh, I'm kidding. But anyway, back to Utah. Um, you know, the the big concern in Utah has been, you know, just the lack of help. And we saw Rudy Gobert in, in the series against Houston. How did you feel he did it in the, his matchup with Clint Capella? Because that was one that everyone had circled to try to watch. Um, I, I think he did fine. I mean, the, the toughest thing for Gobert in this series was it's hard for him to score against the Rockets, mainly because he gets most of his points through rolling to the basket and getting lob passes and playing above the rim. But, I mean, the Rockets just do a really, really good job of taking that away. And, again, because of that switching defense, like those same plays just aren't quite there. Um, all that said, I mean, he was another one who – he did struggle. He he averaged 16 points a game during the regular season, and that dropped down to, I think, 11 points during the playoffs. Let me see where it was. He was at, yeah, 11.2. Um, but, I mean, he still had a good defensive impact. Like I said, with, he probably had the hardest defensive task. I mean, just think about what the Jazz were asking him to do. The guards were playing on the back of James Harden and giving him basically a full head of steam towards Rudy Gobert. And the Jazz were trusting Rudy Gobert to make the right decision of hanging towards Clint Capella long enough and then last second being able to come up to James Harden to protect the basket and warn off any pass. I mean, they almost put him in an impossible situation, and he did a really, really good job of it. I mean, Clint Capella didn't necessarily play really – and Clint Capella didn't play well until the final game of the series. He had a really good game five, but I mean, the first four games, Clint Capella wasn't really a big factor. The Jazz were losing because of other Rockets. Um, so, I mean, offensively, I think it was a tough series for Gobert just because the Rockets' defense puts him in a weird position. But defensively, I think he he more than held his own and really proved why he's probably going to be the defensive player of the year once again. Yeah, absolutely. Tim, do you have any questions here for our good friend John? I do have a few. Um, in regards to Gobert there, too, I just want to throw out that I didn't know this. I just read this today. It's only the second player to score 1,200 points, 1,000 rebounds, and shoot 65% from the field in a season. Yeah, wasn't the second Will Chamberlain guy, the other one? <laughs> Will Chamberlain was the other one in 1966. Yeah. That's a lot of years for nobody to do that. So that's pretty impressive stuff. Yeah. Um, what I, I didn't want to ask was uh, you and Will oh, go Chamberlain is pretty pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that's that's, no, that's just, kind of yeah. I mean that's that's elite company to be in for any stat, just about. Um, two guys that uh, they're gonna the uh, the Jazz have got to make some kind of decisions on probably. Uh, do they re re up Derek Favors, and does Kyle Korver retire? Uh, yeah, I think those are good ones. I. I think the tough thing, I would probably say the two guys are Derek Favors and Ricky Rubio because, I mean, they don't really have much of a choice with Kyle Korver. If, if he decides it's time for him to retire, then that's going to be his choice and the Jazz are going to support it. I 
I, for one, like listening to some of the press conferences and listening to David Locke, who's really intertwined with this team, I feel like he's going to lace them up for one more year. Um, I, I think Derek Favors is the big one, though, because for a long time the Jazz have been one of the few teams kind of hanging on to that traditional two-big starting lineup. And Derek Favors actually played really, really well this year. Uh, in, in a limited role, they, they he accepted – the challenge of playing less minutes per game, but I would say he probably had his best season of his career, even if his numbers or averages overall were a little bit lower just because of the fewer minutes. But, I mean, there were stretches during that series against Houston where he was probably more effective than Gobert. Um, But I think the Jazz has kind of hit a point where they need to become – just a more traditional team. I think they're going to try and get that stretch four, like I talked about with maybe Tobias Harris. But if you look at the on-off numbers, they were better offensively and about the same defensively while playing Jay Crowder with Rudy Gobert. Um, so they, they can definitely still be a better team with a stretch four. If you can get Derek Favors to accept a backup center role playing maybe 20 minutes a game, I think that would be the ideal situation. Um, but if it comes down to having the money to bring someone in like Tobias Harris or Chris Middleton or the insert name here, whoever's going to be a good – I know Nikola Mirotic is someone they've been interested in. I mean, if, if it comes down to money and they need to waive him to bring in someone like that, I think they're probably going to move on from Derek Favors. Um, Ricky Rubio, I mean, which one of you is the Minnesota fan? That'd be me. <laughs> Not me. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't really like to raise my hand too high, but no, nah, I'm kidding. Yeah. I'm a Wolves fan. Um, that's good. You're, you're the only one I know, so I just, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think, I mean, well you, you know this, you know this from your Timberwolves fan days when he played with them. Richard Rubio as a person is one of the greatest people I've ever. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he's yeah, one of the nicest, one of the nicest guys. I, but I tell you what, John, I would have traded his niceness in a heartbeat for a jump shot. I was like, please be an asshole yeah. and learn how to shoot a jumper. Please, something. I just really yeah. – I, I can't and handle I, this I, anymore. And what's interesting is, like, I, I know he works so hard. It's just some players, just they don't have it. They can't shoot. And he seems to be one of those players. I know he puts in the work. It's just it's never been able to translate into gameplay. But he's such a good person. He's such a – he's a great influence on this team. Like, they're – at the end of the at the trade deadline, he talked about how hard it was for him because he just loves this group of guys, and and his teammates were saying the same things of just how great he is of a locker room presence, and it's going to be hard to move on from someone like that. But I think it's just run its course, and the Jazz are realizing that he's limiting their potential because of his his inability to be an effective offensive player. Yeah, and and um, I, I and he's think, one of the best passers you'll ever see. He can fit the ball in places yeah. that it just shouldn't go. He's an amazing passer. He's a great, great, great basketball mind. I mean, he really yeah. knows how to play the game of basketball. I mean, for someone who can't shoot, he really is an effective basketball player. But I think where the Jazz struggled in that series with shooting, I mean, if you guys remember game five, it was, I think, 94-93. Rockets are up with about a minute left. Um, the Jazz got a block, and then Donovan Mitchell got a rebound, and it led to kind of a transition wide-open corner three for Ricky Rubio. And that's 
analytically the best shot you're going to get in the game, and he airballed it. And oh, I saw it. I, when he took that shot, I mean, that's the thing. Like, I had no confidence that that was going in. I mean, Neither I, did I. The second he had the shot, I was like, oh, anybody but Ricky. Like, he's just he's not going to make it. And I, I think the Jazz know that they need to move on from him. I, I, I wondered if maybe they'll try or experiment with Donovan Mitchell full-time as a point guard and look at bringing in maybe a combo guard or a shooting guard. Um, a name that I've heard a lot recently is Malcolm Brogdon, who I think would be a perfect fit next to Donovan Mitchell. He's a guy who has shot 40% for his career from three. He shot 42.6 this last year. I mean, I didn't even realize this. He averaged 15.6 per game, 15.6 points per game this year. I had no idea he was scoring the ball like that. Um, but, I mean, he's a guy who defensively he's not going to be an issue with the Jazz. I mean, he was ACC defensive player of the year. I mean, he's defensive-minded. The Bucks were one of the top defensive teams. So, I think the Jazz will look at someone like that to pair next to Donovan Mitchell. And as much as we love Rubio, I think he's – I think Rubio is probably more likely to be off the Jazz than Derek Favors. Like, if one of them's going to come back, I would be more shocked if it was Rubio. I, I really think – Derek Favors has a decent chance of coming back, but Rubio, I just, I don't see him coming back. Yeah, and Rubio is one of those guys who, he's almost like ten years too late. If he came about ten years earlier, I think he could have been uh, made a, a much bigger impact than he has now. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. But anyway, um, if we look at that series. The game four the Jazz had was just a fantastic game. And it seems like they found their way in game four. Uh, I look at game four and I say, you know, that was a big win for them. If they win game five, let's just let's just play hypothetical here. They win game five hypothetically, and then they have to go back to Utah. Do you think they could have pushed that game? If they'd have got out of game five in Houston, do you think they could have pushed that to seven? Uh, I definitely do. I mean, I think – this series, from an outside perspective, people who maybe aren't Jazz fans, even those who are Jazz fans, because there's a lot of depressed Jazz fans right now, um, I think the first two games really threw off the perspective and we're having trouble looking past those first two games because Jazz really played like crap those first two games. It was just bad. Um, but game three, the Jazz should have won game three. They led the entire game three until the final like minute and a half. And that was the game where James Harden started, like, 0 for 15, like the historic bad start. And then he, he finished with, like, three shots or something. But, I mean, realistically, the Jets should have won game three. They were the better team. They just failed to finish. They won game four. So, in that scenario, it's 2-2. Game five, I mean, again, the Jazz, they had over 70 wide-open threes. They just shot terribly. I mean, if they shoot their averages even, this series is completely different. I mean, there's there's an alternate reality out there somewhere where the Jazz are actually up in this series 3-2. Um, so, yeah, I mean, over the final three games, the Jazz played the Rockets extremely close. But people are kind of overlooking that because of how bad the first two games were. So I do think if they had somehow pulled off game five, the momentum would have shifted in their favor. The pressure would have been on the Rockets. And I think the Jazz could have won at home and taken it to seven. That said, I still probably favor the Rockets. I, I don't think you're beating the Rockets four times in a row. 
Yeah, that that would have been a tough task to do. But I think Utah played great, and I was looking forward to maybe seeing that game go to game six just to see what we could have got. Uh, Tim, do you have any more questions for John? We I feel like we've kept him way too long. One one quick one. Um, general manager said uh, after this year, well, I should ask you first, is the, is the year a success or a letdown overall? Um, for for you. I would look at the year as a success. I think the Jazz showed a lot of improvement. And they showed a lot of fight. Um, I think depending on who you talk to, they would say it was a disappointment because if you look at the start of the season, a lot of people thought the Jazz were going to be maybe even the second-best team in the West. Um, and obviously that didn't happen. But I, I view it as a success. And this is this is kind of one final thought I had. I, so I wrote that article about how everything had to go wrong for the Jazz to play the Rockets. I think in a weird way it's good that the Jazz faced the Rockets because if they faced any other team, I think they'd probably get to the second round. And if they're on the right side of the bracket, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if they even met the Warriors in the Western Conference Finals. Like, I, I just think that could have been possible. But if that happens, I think the Jazz look at this and say, like, okay, yeah, we're good. We have everything we need. We can roll it back. Okay. I think the fact that they played the Rockets was secretly good because it exposed necessary weaknesses that the Jazz need to fix. And you can't look past them anymore because they, they lost in the first round. Like, the Jazz view themselves as a team that should be competing with the Warriors, with the Rockets. And I think this series proves that they're not quite there yet. And there's some major things that have to be addressed. I mean, primarily isolation scoring. They just need someone else who can score, maybe a stretch four, probably an upgrade of the point card. But I think it was almost good that we played the Rockets because now the Jazz are going to be forced to address those weaknesses this offseason. So you're you're basically uh, towing the company line then because that's basically what uh... – the general manager said that uh, what I learned was <laughs> we have a very good team, but we don't have a great one yet. Yeah. So I think, so, like, it, depending on if you want to look at it as a, a success or not, I, I think the season was a success. I think they played really well. But I also think the Jazz are going to look at it and say, we could have been better and we need to be better. And this offseason is going to be really a very, very, like, historically important offseason for the Jazz franchise if they – plan to compete in the West. Good stuff. Fair enough. Yeah, and they, they they didn't make a lot of moves in the offseason last year, which surprised me. I thought they would make a move, maybe try to get a bigger name to come in, and they really didn't. And so I was kind of surprised I mean, by that. And I think, uh, I think it would have helped them. Interesting for us um, actually, I just looked this up, and the biggest issue they didn't do anything last year was because over the second half of the season, they were – and by the by, the numbers, they were one of the top two, three teams in the entire NBA. And the same thing happened this year, but it was more because of scheduling. If you if you combine the last two seasons, just the second half of the year. So if you take the last 41 games from the past two seasons, the Jazz had a record of 61 and 21, and the number one net rating in the entire NBA. Um, and I think that's why they didn't make any changes over last off season was. The second half of the season, they were just such an incredible team. But 
the same thing has now happened two years in a row where they played really well in the second round, but then got bounced by the Rockets. So it, you can allow it one season, but after two seasons of it, I think the wake-up call is there and they know they need to make changes. Yeah, and I believe the winds of change are sweeping through Utah. But, John, thank you so much for jumping on here and talking a little Utah jazz with us and uh, let our listeners know where they can keep up with you online and your writing and, and things like that. Uh, yeah, of course. Um, so like you said, Salt City Hoops is primarily where I'm writing for right now. Um, every once in a while I contribute for the Um Social media though, just follow me at, at John underscore Kiefer on Twitter. Um, yeah. I mean, those are the places to follow me. I'm consistent on there. Yes, you are. I know anytime I have anything I need to message you about, you are back to me in no time. So we thank you, John, for coming on, talking some Utah jazz, and we'll get you back in the off season once things start heating up again, and we'll talk some more jazz. Sounds great. Looking forward to it, guys. Awesome. Can't wait. Thank you again. Yep, have a good one. And that was John Kiefer from Salt City Hoops joining us and talking about the Utah Jazz and the unfortunate end to their season with the loss to the Houston Rockets in the first round. You know, I think that's a franchise I could start to cheer for again. <laughs> Why you say that? I don't know. They just seem to have that certain – I didn't really like them much back in the uh, Malone-Stockton days. but well, We were all Jordan fans back then, so – that's probably why. I, I, You know, I really hate to say it, but I think it's the name. Well, I mean, nothing wrong with jazz well, music. It is an interesting name for a basketball team. <laughs> I don't know what the uh, – it makes me wonder why. Why the jazz? Like, well, you know, they the moved to New Orleans. The New Orleans jazz. Like, okay, see, I didn't know that. Yeah, they moved from New Orleans to Utah. So why don't they, they, give, just kept why don't the they give Jazz back to New Orleans and take the Pelicans? You know, that beats the hell out of me, too. <laughs> the Utah Pelicans. <laughs> I don't know. Really ring. I don't know what you would call the Utahs. I don't know what you call the Utah Jazz well, That's what that. I was kind of thinking. I mean, the obvious, the obvious angle is the religious angle, but, of course, that they wouldn't want to do. So I have, to, I have to be honest. It's a state that, like, you know, don't really – I don't know. The Utah Lackaporn, maybe? Dry County, something along those lines, maybe. I don't know. Maybe, maybe the Utah Salt Rocks? <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, again, this is Wide Men Can't Jump, actually. And I forgot to mention, this is our 77th episode here We're this so week. Awesome. as We are inching ever so close to 100. Only 23 episodes to go until episode 100. At the, at the rate we're going, we're going to catch another podcast before they even get to 100. Well, we won't mention or talk about that. Oh, I'm not saying who. I'm just saying. <laughs> well, Tim, I, w- I do want to bring up, and this is uh, this is a topic you and I kind of discussed a little off air. You brought it up. Let's talk about it. The Utah Jazz, or no, excuse me, not the Utah Jazz, the Golden the State Pelican. Warriors Houston Rockets series that's going on right oh. now. A lot of controversy in the first round, uh, or in the second round, first game, uh, game two last night, a lot of controversy surrounding these two teams. And, uh, 
You go ahead. You went on a little bit of a rant earlier. Go ahead and let our listeners hear it. Well, it wasn't so much a rant. It's just I, I don't – okay, there again. I'm not a uh, NBA rules aficionado that I can cite stuff at you from the book and et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I haven't even figured out what's a freaking travel these days, let alone any of the other more complicated rules. But this if you want to see a travel, track, just if you want to see a travel, just watch James Harden. That's all you have to do. Yeah, but it'll be okay. But that, that's apparently a travel unless it's in a game. For, extra, for for instructional purposes, it's a beautiful travel, but in a game, it's not one for some reason. Anyhow, exactly. Uh, for some reason, the Houston Rockets have have come to the conclusion that they should have uh, when their guys get set up to shoot that they should have 12 feet in front of them and 14 feet behind them in which to land that no other player should occupy. Um, and I think we would all probably, short of hardcore uh, Houston and or Harden fans, would probably be willing to give you that James Harden pushes off on every three sh- attempt almost that he ever makes and then steps backwards on top of it all. Oh, he he definitely um, pushes off. There's there's no question. There's a push off. Okay, and I and I can live with the push off depending upon the severity of the push off. Um, the step back for me is a travel. So, and I don't care what anybody says. I don't give this bullshit about continuation and being able to get set up and all this nonsense. That's all garbage. That's a travel. I don't care. And if it isn't, then they need to change the rule. But this thought that he should then have the, all this free area in which to come down to basically saying that uh, you have to back off of me on my shot pretty much. Yeah, you know, pretty that much. You can't that's, really, that's you can't really cover me that closely because I need space to land. Uh, I don't know if this is part of the Chris Paul school of bitching. <laughs> I'm not sure. It seems to me that when the Houston Rockets win, you hear nothing. And when they lose, you hear a whole lot about how the refs are, are, are not with them. And I'm not a Houston guy, I will admit, but I don't care so much either that that I, you know, if they win, that, that doesn't destroy me either. But I hate when teams do that. I absolutely hate it. Yeah, I, I don't like it either. Uh, it definitely is very aggravating and something that annoys me as well. So, so you're not alone in that aspect, Tim. Um, I will agree with you there. But, you know, I was looking at it the other day, and the Scott Van Pelt had a, an argument about it on on Sports Center when he hosted. When James Harden is trying to shoot a three, James Harden stands, jumps, shoots, lands all within relatively the same spot, very similar spot. When James Harden is trying to draw a foul, James Harden uh, first normally pushes off, then jumps, and then makes sure that he lands three to four, maybe even five feet in front of where he took off into the defender. And they're calling fouls. And James Harden in the regular season, season, Shot 95, th- uh, 95 of those, he was fouled on three-point plays. 95 different shots. Where the next closest players, there was a tie between uh, 
Kimball Walker and another player whose name escapes me at the moment, but they only had 45 apiece. Harden had doubled them plus five. He's purposefully shooting a shot, kicking his legs out, and drawing a foul. And they, they outlawed the, the whole Paul Pierce thing where you pump fake, and once you pump fake, then you jump forward into the player. That's no longer a foul uh, because that was a big thing Paul Pierce used to do. Now, this James Harden thing, and I get you got to give the defender room to land. And I'm not saying all of his four-point plays are like that because I'm sure some of them are legit. He's getting hit because he does that step back, which is a travel, but it's not called, so it will continue to be a non-called travel. But he does that, and he goes two steps back, and a defender is trying to play defense on him because he's a good shooter. But when you kick your when you kick your legs out to land in a place that you don't occupy, to me, that's not a foul. That's your damn fault. Yeah, well, that's, I'm, that's I'm, how I look at it. I'm quite willing to give you the landing spot on a, a 90 degree vertical for you going up and down. I'm not willing to give it to you on a 45 where you can lean and jump, kind of jump forward. And you're the one who's initiating the contact there, not the defender. Yeah. To me, that's not to me that's not a foul anymore. Now, no, if say, you're I'm initiating a... the contact, and if you're jumping five, if it takes you uh, a jump, like you're jumping out of a you know an airplane for a, a skydive to shoot a shot, then you know tough luck. That defender's got that space occupied. That's not your space. Now, if it's a vertical jump and they jump into you, then that's a different question. But right, Harden but is one of those guys who, jump needs who to always be straight up and down, not not I'm long jumping. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> He's trying out for Olympic long jumping, and and yeah, I, I need that. This. I need that ten feet in front of me, free and clear for when I land. Well, no, yeah. no, you don't. Um. The worst part is that it's James Harden. Is I mean, say what you want about him, like him, hate him, whatever. Bastard can shoot. He doesn't he need doesn't need the help. Doesn't need it. No, he he, just, he doesn't. And and he for a guy who he's a good player, he could be a great player if he keeps his mouth shut. In my opinion, um, I don't know. It's just uh, it's sour grapes for me. Well, like I said, I didn't I didn't hear a word about it in the first round. Well, that's won. because uh, that's because those fouls were getting called in the first round, and, and that's that's a ma- another major issue we talked about in the NBA, and, and it's like this in most sports. The refs want to let you play. They want you to play. They want you to. They don't want to be the ones that decide games. Um, sometimes they swallow the whistle. But if you're a star and you're getting calls and you're used to getting those calls, well, and this is what's happened in round two, the Rockets have the star power, but they've met the team with bigger star power. Yes. And now they're not getting the calls they were getting that they shouldn't have been getting in the first place. Uh, They're not getting those calls. Chris Paul acting uh, acting like an idiot celebrating when James Harden got a foul call. Uh, in game one, and that just making an ass of himself. Uh, and then, and, and then saying they didn't do it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was blatant. 
Absolutely. Oh, no, we, didn't, but, we didn't chatter at any refs ever during the game. Oh, come on, guys. It's, yeah, bullshit. This is, the, this is uh, the, it's 2019. It's all over the media. We we all saw it. Yeah. And, and And the thing with them is they're playing Golden State now. This isn't Utah. Utah doesn't have those those they don't get those star calls. They don't get those, you know, I bumped into you, I'm a I'm a superstar, I should get that foul because I'm a superstar. Uh they don't get those calls. Golden State well, does. And the referees are gonna swallow the whistle this series because this is two star teams with stud athletes that the NBA loves, and you're not gonna get those calls in this series and the Rockets are bitching now because they're not getting their star calls that they're used to getting. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. When, when you talk about officiating, I mean, I think the first thing a person has to realize, it's an impossible job. When you look at the um, – and we'll, ta- we'll, take, we'll stick with basketball. Um, you look at the referees. Now, those guys are in pretty good shape. But they are not in the shape of the of the players. Then you put ten guys out there, and they're running around like crazy. The ball's going here and there. Shit's happening quite often at a pace that you just can't see everything, and you certainly can't see it objectively all the time. That being said, I the thing that rubs me the worst is when. Player A touches player B's jersey and barely moves it, and that's a foul. All right, fine. Then that, then for me, the standard has been set. Now that has to be the foul the next time going the other direction, and it's not. Then you'll see a guy just get clobbered, and there's nothing. Like I, I think more it, the inconsistency bothers me more. Like, if they're not going to call anything and they just don't call anything and that goes both ways, okay, at least the players can adjust to that and go, all right, short of killing somebody, there's just not going to be any calls tonight. Fair enough. We can react to that. But when you don't know what a foul is, especially as a defender, it's pretty hard to defend anyone. Yeah, it is, and, and we're seeing that more and more. And and that's fine. I, I, don't, I, I don't hate I just, again, you want consistency. And, you know, between Golden State always crying about the calls they don't get, and and now Houston is jumping in on that. And it's becoming a circus. And to me, the officials need to say, you know what? We don't care. This is what we saw. Like this is what we did. I really believe that North American professional sports should take a page out of European soccer. When it comes to officials, you don't touch them, you don't talk to them, you don't berate them, nothing. And if you do, you're going to get slapped. You're going to get kicked out of the game, you're going to get fined, you're going to get something, and it's a no-brainer that you're going to. Not a maybe, you will. And you don't see, I mean, guys flop in soccer, but you don't see the, like the snacky comments after the game and stuff like that. That's just got no place. It, 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 that, that's not professional behavior. In my well, in my opinion, I mean, unless you really get hosed, but let's be honest, that really doesn't happen in the NBA. Well, my Very my rarely. thing is, my thing is, and we talked about this earlier. We agree, officials will call a game 
differently in the playoffs than they do. They do, and I don't understand why. And I'm with you. I don't. If you're going to call a game, why are you calling this game differently? Well, well, what happened that what happened that a foul in uh, you know April the first isn't a foul April the tenth? Exactly. You know, or whatever the dates are. But 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 yeah. why why is that? I I, I mean, ask the like, same question, and it's like. It's almost like if you ever notice this, if you're ever and and you're gonna you're gonna pass out because I'm about to make a baseball reference. Oh um, Christ! Yeah, if you ever notice during a close baseball game, that strike zone gets awful narrow. It closes down a little bit. Okay, but I, but I can live with that as long as it's consistent. If it's well, for both guys, not that it's for it's, one team and not for the other team. But what? But my thing is. That strike zone shouldn't be any different than it was to start this game. No, why is it not, when the game's but... close that the strike zone gets smaller? But if you've got an eleven to nothing game in the top of the fifth, that strike zone's gotten a lot oh, bigger. That's right up there with the like I mean baseball too, where while well, the veteran, the veteran pitcher, he's earned the uh, outside corners. The rookie hasn't. Well, what difference does it make if it's in the zone? It's in the zone. Who cares? Yeah, exactly. Who Exactly. <laughs> I, you know, who cares who threw it? But that seems to be a, I don't know. I guess, you know, there's a human element involved there to some degree, I suppose. Uh, but to me, it's it's frustrating. Uh, I, I mean, I, I guess maybe if I was a player and I really thought I was getting the short end, but let's be honest. These, I mean, James Harden has, got, has played so much basketball. He's got to know that for every time he's been fouled and there hasn't been a call, that he's gotten a call when he never got touched, or he was the oh, you yeah. know, or it was a bad call or whatever. I don't think that. I think that's all uh, designed to try to get some calls in the next game. You know that that could be a possibility, and they could be trying to play. But I think if I'm the officials and I'm the officials' union, I'm saying, you know what? Well, that's you what know, I'm. You, <laughs> you know that that's what I'm saying about the lot. soccer analysis is we will not we will not tolerate that. You you you've got uh, y- if you're going to bring up the calls and all that stuff, you have to go about it in such a way where you don't uh, make us look not necessarily bad, but that you're like you're defaming us on some you know. It's that's just not the way to do it, and I think the game would be better off. I mean, I don't like when they do it. Take your hatred out on the other team. Oh my gosh. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to. I, oh, I've got oh the gosh. game. Oh man. I've got the the Nuggets Trailblazers game on. In the background here, and Tory Craig just took a he took a shot to his face, and I don't know if he broke his nose or, or gouged his eye, but there oh. was blood everywhere. He could be like James Harden and try to tell me that there was part times in the game that he couldn't see. Yeah, out yeah, there. I saw that. You I said he was going to wear it out. out there. You'll probably if, hate if that's me for this. True, Nate, if that's true, then James Harden is the most selfish player in NBA history. Well, I don't know if you saw my tweet. I did tweet out that uh, Harden was going to wear an eye patch to the press conference, and he was going to be, be addressed as James Harden. <laughs> In me, in my first mate CP3. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Well, there's one series we haven't talked about yet. We talked about Toronto and Philly. We've talked about the Golden State-Houston series. We've talked about Denver and Portland. Let's jump over and talk Boston-Milwaukee. That's the other big series going on. It's tied 1-1 right now. Uh, Boston came out and just utterly took it absolutely to Milwaukee in game one. Like, it was not even close. They put a beating on. And it was even so much so that Paul Pierce, now granted – Paul Pierce was wearing his Celtics shades, I believe, during this comment. Paul Pierce came out and said, I think it's over. I don't think Milwaukee can recover. And, you know, Milwaukee, they looked bad. They weren't making shots. They were missing Malcolm Brogdon badly in that series. Uh, Miracic didn't play well. Giannis played okay, but not well enough. Chris Middleton had a decent game, but still not good enough for what he needs to do, and Boston just dominated. Uh, Then game two rolls around and just take the shoes and put them on the other foot, and uh, oh yeah, that's a a broken nose uh, I believe for Craig, but yeah, uh, and I think that... breaking news, isn't it, Nate? Breaking news. (laughs) Ha (laughs) ha! I can't reach the the drum from here, but yeah, don't worry about it. That wasn't that good. <laughs> but um, you know, Milwaukee came out in game two and they dominated. Uh, Giannis was knocking down threes. Middleton was hitting shots. Miritich played well. Brooke Lopez was very active, and the Boston Celtics lost a huge game too. But they still have the series home court advantage for now as the games shift to Boston. But this one, I think is shaping up to be a fun series between the Bucks and the Celtics coming up. Uh, you know, game three is right around the corner. Yeah. So we're looking forward to this one. What do, what's your thoughts on Boston and Milwaukee? I'm, I'm going, this is a seven gamer, but I have no idea who's going to win. You know, it's, it's mean, a hard one to, to take from it. I mean, that looked like a tale of two cities in the first two games. Where it was basically okay, well, yeah, I mean Milwaukee Bucks, who are these? Guys? You know the the storied Celtics franchise. Yeah, yeah, they lead up beating on them. I'm not surprised by that at all. Then the next game goes, and it was like it was like to switch jerseys or something. And yeah, <laughs> and it was the total opposite. So I, I don't know if that was just a little bit of game one jitters for. Uh, well, this is the first game Milwaukee. one Milwaukee had had in the second round in years. So you know that they haven't been. I mean, and they, their best players are have never been. Yeah, very for, true. For sure, their best player has never been. So that's you know I don't know if they got caught you know looking at the bright lights and you know and woke up and it was too late because I mean, the Celtics sure didn't. I mean that's a veteran team who's been around. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, I like the Bucks. Oh, I do too. I'm pulling for them, honestly. Uh, uh, no offense to the Boston fans out there. I'm a big no, uh, Giannis another, fan. This is another case of like uh, the OKC thing. Okay, been around, been good for a long time. They that that franchise won't suffer much, or shouldn't suffer much from getting knocked out. And, I mean, Celtics aren't going to have any trouble selling season tickets next year. Yeah, you know, and that, I think that franchise will is, absorb. Yeah, I mean it will absorb the loss, whereas Milwaukee's might might not, or will suffer more. Maybe I want to see them do well. Uh, that's a market that has not traditionally done much. Um, so I, I think that's good for the sport. 
Yeah. And, and I'm, you know, we'll we'll see where the series goes. I'm interested to see how the Bucks play in Boston. Uh, Al Horford, to me, is the key to that series. If he is on, Boston's tough to beat. If Al Horford is not playing up to snuff, then Boston is vulnerable, in my opinion. That's that's how I'm looking at it, and that's that's the way that uh, I think this series will come down. If Horford has a big series, then I think we're going to see a uh, we're going to see a Boston advance. If Horford doesn't have a great series, then we're probably going to see Milwaukee move on. I said Milwaukee in six. I'm sticking with that prediction. So we'll see what happens, though. I know all the Celtics fans that listen. Boo hiss. I know. I know. I love you anyway. Get over it. <laughs> but, Tim, uh, you know, as we, we close in on the end of the show here, we're going to bring back a segment we haven't had on in a while. Uh, this well, is a favorite of Well, I mean, maybe, but <laughs> we're going to talk about I want I you to give boot. me a year and a number, my friend. Well, hold on. Give I do have some here. news about, about little TR. He's changed oh, his name. Oh, little TR update. Okay, let's, let's hear it. Yeah, he has changed his name. He tells me I got a letter from him the other night, the other day. Uh, as is his Mexican incarceration continues, he is now El Toro <laughs> Robinson. El Toro Robinson? El Toro Robinson. <laughs> he would like to be referred to as El Toro. <laughs> so keep that in mind when we're talking about him from now on. Cause okay. Let me tell you, that boy... I don't know. Jail has not been good for. Well, he's not really in jail. Detention has not been good for this boy. He's getting a little El rough around him. And talk about being mad at his father. But anyhow, um, El, give you give me a year. Uh, Two thousand and four. I don't know why that got me. I'm not sure, but it went Two thousand four. Okay. El, El, the year of the bull. Uh, El Toro. I don't know why that got me, but that got me. Okay, give me a pick, Tim. My name is El Toro Robinson, and you killed my father. Prepare, and you killed my father. Uh, uh, Okay, give me a number. Oh, that's from. uh, I don't even know what movie that's from. From a movie. I'm Aldo Montoya. You killed my father. Yeah, kid, Princess Bride, correct. Anyway, yeah, yeah, 2004. Give give me a year, you say? Or no, I already gave you a year. Uh, give me a give number. Me a number. Um, 642. Uh, no, oh, God damn it. Uh, <laughs> nine. Nine. Well, I picked nine before. I haven't picked nine before, so let's pick nine. Okay. Well, we've been through this draft before. Once we we talked about pick six, Josh Childress. I don't know if you remember that conversation. Um, well, we did talk about him. Andre Iguodala was pick nine in this draft, and Andre Iguodala, he has had quite the quite the career. He was drafted pick number nine by the Philadelphia Seventy Sixers, and the Sixers had him for many years. They had him from two thousand four to two thousand and twelve, and he played he played well for them. I remember seeing him playing in. Uh, Miami against LeBron James and the Miami Heat. Um, so Andre Iguodala has had a he's had a solid career in Philly. He, he played great for them, and that was before he made some moves. Let me get his statistics pulled up here. He uh, uh, he, he went to college uh, with uh, Bart Simpson. What? He went to college with Bart Simpson. I'm lost. He was born in Springfield. He was born in Springfield. 
Oh, sweet Jesus. <laughs> but anyway. Yes, my, yes, my son. <laughs> oh, God. Iguodala averaged nine points his first year and then slowly went up into double figures, averaging 12 the next year, 18 the next year, nearly 20 in the 2007-2008 season, uh, then 18, 17, 14, 12, 13. He was an all-star for Philadelphia during the 2011 year. Then he spent one season with the Denver Nuggets where he averaged 13 points uh, for the Nuggets. Played very well for them. Uh, He was 29 years old. When he was 30, Iguodala moved to this little team you may have heard of them called the Golden State Warriors. And he has been with them ever since and is currently still there. He was an NBA Finals MVP. Uh, not sure what year that was off the top of my head, uh, but I do know he was. I can find out real quick. Uh, trying to remember what year that was. He's been there since 2013, and it was the 2014-2015 season. He was the final the MVP, and that was the first year for Steve Kerr as an NBA coach. Uh, that was when they beat the Cavs in six games, and he was the first player to win – the award without starting a game in the regular season. So Iguodala was finals MVP, but did not start one game for the Warriors during the regular season. And he was also the first MVP of the NBA finals to not have started every game of the finals. Interesting. He did a great job guarding LeBron James. He, he got, he, James averaged 38% from the field when Iguodala was on the floor when he wasn't on the floor, LeBron James averaged 44% on the floor. So that was his job there. And he's still still running. Still kicking. And, he's, managed to, he's managed to not only get a pretty good uh, – I imagine he's made some pretty good bank. And absolutely. I understand that he is uh, quite uh, – he's one of the leading NBA players in investing and things of that nature. But uh, he's really into the tech – and because uh, he owns mm-hmm. stock and Facebook and Twitter and all that kind of nonsense, um, he's obviously a guy who's got his act together. Yeah, and he's 35 years old now, which in NBA years, I mean that's that's a lot of years in done. the NBA. Yeah, pretty but, much done at 35 for most guys. But he's still going, and he's doing some great stuff. Uh, in the NBA still, and I believe, you know, he's still playing right now and shows no signs of slowing down. I believe he'll be back next year, if if I had to guess. More than likely, especially if they win. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, don't fix it. Don't tinker with it when it ain't broken, baby. No, no sense in it. But, yeah, so no. Andre Iguodala, what a, uh, what a, what a pick. pick. What a the pick you made! Pick. That's got to be honestly. That's got to go. That's got to. I mean, I don't know, but that's got to be right up there with probably one of the best number nine picks. Number nine already. We're usually getting down the the rope a little bit. Yeah, I mean, number nine is it's still a lottery pick, but you're not getting picks that you would assume. Let's would be honest. Be... Even in this day day and age, the really the, the the picks are you know one to four on a good year on a on a normal year one to four are the guys who are. And even sometimes them. Sometimes it's only one and two that are really ready to uh, to go and do any damage. And after yeah. that, it's a bit of a, a bit of a crapshoot. After that, 
Yeah, I mean uh, number nine. I mean, I mean, how many players from 2004 are still in the league? Oh goodness. Um, I mean, who second. knows? But I'm just saying. I mean, I wouldn't think it's all that. Uh, honestly, I I may be able to figure that out for you. Um, give me just a second here, and I can. Well, I can for that draft see. year, Dwight Howard doesn't play anymore. He well, no, he really doesn't play anymore. Right? He does play still. Uh, but, he does, but, but not really. But he's been injured. Uh, Ameka Okafor. Uh, Okafor actually did play this year a little bit, but not a lot. Okay, but so. for, but he's a number. Two, he was a number two pick. Oh, I agree. Ben Gordon, okay, but, no. Sean Livingston, Sean Livingston is on the Warriors. He still plays. All right. Devin but, Harris but, is. Go ahead. But of those, all I'm saying of of those guys, he, he him at nine has a better career than all them guys. Well, he and Sean Livingston both have had good careers. Iguodala's probably better than, than him. Uh, Lou Alden. Okay, but if I said, do you know Andre Iguodala or do you know Sean Livingston? You're probably coming up with with Iguodala before you come up with Sean Livingston. Well, I know them both. I'm going to guess. I'm going to guess. <laughs> okay, but you're a basketball guy, but if you're not. I mean, and after that, when you look at that draft, it gets pretty ugly. I mean, after yeah. that, Chris Humphreys claimed to fame as Kardashian-related. And there's not much else there. Sebastian uh, Telfair, boy, that was uh, that was something else. Al Jefferson of, still uh, plays. Uh, J.R. Smith still with, plays. Uh, had big uh, PR like J.R. Smith was going to be all that in a bag of chips. Tony that Allen really was pen. a solid. Tony Allen was a solid uh, defensive player. Delonte West, that was a. Uh, <laughs> Delonte West, that was a guy who was going to be big, but then he fucked LeBron James's mom and we've never really heard from again. Uh, Kevin Martin had a solid little career. Sasha Vujicic won a, a ring with the Lakers. Uh, Bino Udre, he, he was a decent role player. Uh, Anderson Verjao won a ring with the Cavaliers. I mean, uh, I would argue from, from that list. But Iguodala probably had the best career. He has probably overall had the best career. Well, I, I, I can agree with that. Only Finals MVP to come out of this draft. I uh, mean, Dwight yeah, Howard can... has had a pretty good career, but never won anything. Well, Dwight Howard's made more money, but I think Iguodala probably. When you look at the career, yeah. you'd have to go with Iguodala's career over Dwight Howard. Dwight Howard is probably also spending more money. <laughs> Well, that's beyond that. That's a side note there that we'll talk <laughs> that we don't want to dive <laughs> yeah, into. Anyway, so, but uh, how much time we got left? Uh, we're actually getting close to that time. Uh, if you're watching the Portland game, Portland leads by nine. It's forty-four thirty-five right now in the second quarter, and there's plenty of game to go still. So, looking forward to, to seeing what happens. Quick. Go ahead. Before we wrap it up. No, you got time. We well, were a little late getting started. So go okay, ahead. well, this is this is like the definition of, I guess, the irony, I suppose you could say. Okay. And I, I go into the local post office. I look up, and there's a, a wanted poster for El Loco T.R. Robinson. <laughs> All right. Now, let me finish. Now, let me finish. Now, the reason they're looking for him, if you know the whereabouts of this boy, uh, please let us know because he needs his insulin. Oh, no. <laughs> right? You know, because little TR's got diabetes. Thorough. And I go, God damn, well, that's horrible. I walk another few feet and look up, and there's another poster. 
want it. El Toro Robinson. <laughs> and I'm like, what the hell? Uh, Mexican authorities looking for a local bandit, El Toro Robinson, <laughs> wanted bandit. for uh, robbing a Twinkie factory. <laughs> now, is that ironic or not? Irony, he man. Insulin. He needs his own <laughs> insulin or he's getting fat on Twinkies, a little beggar. <laughs> El Toro. Oh, only give me two, he's only allowed two minutes on the phone, and all basically all he did was yelled and screamed something about DHL sucks. Uh, truck drivers are, you know, go back to Philadelphia and fall off that one bridge town of yours and things of that nature. It was horrific. Well, I assume it's that interesting in that he's able to call you all the way from Mexico. Well, they give me, you know, he's allowed. I, I guess he's got me on his next kid, eh? Because he won't talk to his father. So, yeah, makes sense. <laughs> El Toro Robinson. El Toro. Well, <laughs> he said I was going to name myself the Eagle, but screw that noise. <laughs> <laughs> he went with El Toro uh, because his dad, his dad always did love a good PBR, nothing like professional bull riding. Oh, but ladies yeah. and gentlemen, we are going to call oh, it. Well, the B is for bull. All right, fair enough. <laughs> I thought it might have stood for something else. Well, well that's another story. Yeah, anyway, we'll talk story. about that off air. <laughs> yeah. But ladies yeah. and gentlemen, thank you again for listening to Wide Men Can't Jump. We want to thank our sponsors, the law offices of Stephen P. New and Cambay.com. Check out New Law Office at newlawoffice.com. Thanks again for everybody promise, I apologize for the sound quality. I promise heads will roll tomorrow. Yeah, there's going to be a, a stern email sent. But, uh, again, thanks to our, our guests, Steve and John. They were great and hope to have them back on soon. And we Rachel thank Miller, you all for listening. comforting. Let me know. I'm sure we can arrange <laughs> something. Thank all you guys for listening. Again, we're available on iTunes, Podcast Addict, Stitcher, Google Play, Evan Flash, iHeartRadio, anywhere you find podcasts, TuneIn Radio, good. and much, much more. Uh, make sure Rachel Miller throw up. <laughs> make sure you're following us on make sure you're following us on Twitter at Wide Jump. I've been trying to, to to post during a lot of the playoff games when I get a chance to watch. So uh oh, yes, looking and, forward and, to and that. also remember be less, be tuning in. We got some new sponsors and we, I, I think we might have some kind of a, of a of a of a deal getting ready to go down. Yeah, yeah, we may have a deal for you, so make sure you you stick around and pay attention to that. And there'll be more on that coming not, up in the future. It's not uh, chewing blue shit or a mattress. No, this or is a not. Shaver. This is not your typical deal. This is a this is a, a deal for a wide men kind of guy. Let's put it that yeah, way, sure. and uh, you'll it's see a why. Later. <laughs> see, see, Pat machine. But anyway, <laughs> we want to thank you guys again for listening in. Get us off and, the air already before we crash. <laughs> For real. Thanks again for listening oh, and follow us at Wide Jump. I'm at MMITM. Nathan on Twitter. He's at Tileman68. That's Tim. Follow TR at TR Shock. And we'll hope to have some look, more good times talking more basketball next week. At ElToro.com. ElToro. <laughs> Thanks again for listening in, everybody. We've had a great time this week. I know I did. Tim, why don't you go ahead and send us out of here? It's day 62 of my incarceration in a Mexican holding cell. (laughs) I have learned to smell my jailer, Julio, 
as he brings me my daily Twinkie. I've learned to eat only half the Twinkie and to save the other half at night when I cry about my lost father, Tom Robinson. Daddy, if you are, in fact, my daddy, I'm starting to wonder. Maybe Nate is my daddy. Oh, mm-hmm. wouldn't that be a beautiful thing if Nate was really my daddy? Mm-hmm. And I had a little brother named Cade already going. Oh, what a beautiful thing. And I could cheer for a franchise to be proud of. Not those Philadelphia Eagles, but the mighty, <laughs> mighty Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Who suit <laughs> my pseudonym of El Toro so much better. I think I'm going to go and sell some cigarettes for another Twinkie. And dream about being Nate's son. Peace. I ain't even gotta say it, that's just something they know. Thanks for listening to the Wide Men Radio Network located at blogtalkradio.com and at widemencantjump.com. Be sure to check out our blogs over at widemencantjump.com and also be sure to check out all the other shows that we put out. You can find us on iTunes, Podcast Static, Stitcher, Google Play, FM Flash, iHeartRadio, and anywhere you find your favorite podcast. Also, at WideBeanCanJump.com. Visit our store and buy some new t-shirts that are available now in all sizes. This show is brought to you by the law offices of Stephen P. New 